0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd Middle Initial C Walker. Yes, that's right. It's me. And we have been listening to the song Ride With Me. And I think it was a live version, if we could tell by the end of that song, by a young gentleman by the name of Mike Elosh. And let me read you something from a review in Style Weekly from January 1980, a long time ago. So he must have been around 11 years old. To these ears, it's a clean, spare sound that harks back to a time of solo acoustic guitars, introspective songs, dark nights, and uncertain days. Singing with a husky, restrained baritone, Elosh recalls his tales of broken love affairs and unsolved vagabond dilemmas with his, with an easy charm, and he conveys his thoughts with a confident and stark simplicity. Mike Elosh is on the phone. Hi, Mike.
1: Hey, good morning, Todd. Hello. You know... Th- I believe that... Uh uh the uh review was uh from the uh two thousand so I was about fourteen then. Uh-huh. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was one of those uh digital things. I remember uh the guy that that did that down in uh, the Richmond area that I was from. Back when I was traveling a lot.
0: So you did travel a lot as a musician or work wise? Or both uh,
1: as a musician, yep.
0: Well, tell tell us about that. But before you do, go back to this song "Ride with Me." You played that when you performed at the Sunday Brunch Concert Series on the Shabro stage a couple weeks ago. One of the things I loved about the song is its simplicity, and it's it's almost just like you're basically just thinking. Through something in a simple way, but you put it to music, and it comes out as a wonderful, relaxed kind of almost folky song. The was that a song that you wrote based on someone you were thinking about, or is it just a song idea that came to you?
1: Well, that song kind of uh, to me that was like almost like a, a friend of mine had a, that guitar pattern uh, that's kind of sitting up on G, you know, uh, in uh, you know in that position, you know. On the third fret or whatever it is, fourth fret, you know, keep it up there. And um, a friend of mine had a song that was um, started out with that kind of a a, a roll, you know, like that strum thing, you know, the way he did it. It was kind of a pop thing, so that was my attempt. Actually, at a at a pop song, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I guess in the old style of what a pop song would be, like kind of a throwback to the you know, 70s or whatnot, you know. Rather than you know today's pop music, obviously you know, uh, so uh, that was kind of the the deal behind that song, you know, just uh, kind of like the song kind of came about because of that strum.
0: <laughs> well, is now how old is that song?
1: That song is fairly old. That song is back in when did that one? That, that, that's about two thousand three. That one.
0: Okay, so it's back. It's actually back about the time. That I got back into music. I got back into music around the year 2000 after spending some time away. And you mentioned a couple of minutes ago that you traveled a lot musically. So tell me a little bit about that.
1: Well, that was interesting. You know, that was back in the um, late 90s, early 2000s when um, there was that resurgence when uh, of like a coffee house kind of scene when you know coffee was like the thing. You know, now people. You know, take it for granted everyone drinks coffee, but for some reason it seemed like people becoming, uh, you know, like connoisseurs of coffee and like gathering in coffee spots to do their, you know, their work and to socialize. You know, um, a lot of these places uh, had music back then, you know, and um, as well as, you know, the, you know, the bar scene and stuff like that. In Borders books as well, you know these bookstores, Borders, Barnes and Noble. I don't, I, Borders doesn't exist anymore, but um, they would have these music programs where they would pay musicians actually to come and play, and um, so there was kind of a lively scene back then, and I was able to take part in it, and I traveled from, you know, you know, I got down to, you know, from basically from. Florida to Rhode Island, out to Ohio, West Virginia, Tennessee, you know, the whole deal of, you know, basically the eastern half of the country, you know, just traveling a lot and playing,
2: you know, wherever I could, wherever they were, you know,
1: having live music for, you know, a solo acoustic songwriter.
0: So you were a gigging musician full time?
1: Yes, I was until about, um, uh, until about... Probably from 96 until 2002, probably. And then I was just more like, uh, I still traveled somewhat, but it was more local after that.
0: So how did you go about, go all the way back to when you first became involved in music? I'm assuming it was as a kid
1: oh yeah definitely um as a kid i started i always had an interest in music you know i'd always be the kid that went into the piano store i can imagine the reaction of people now you know it's like, <laughs> but i was always the kid that went into the piano store and i was like sitting there just banging on the pianos you know when they have them in the shopping malls you know what i mean that you know because we didn't have a piano or anything like that at that point you know so uh going in there just banging on the pianos i had no clue on how to play i was just super enthusiastic you know enthusiasm is pretty much everything in life you know <laughs>
3: but yeah I,
1: so uh i just got in there and uh finally uh my sister wanted to take piano lessons so my parents bought a piano and um i started to take lessons too and started to play piano and never very you know i just did the basic uh uh classical repertoire to kind of like the intermediate level on that. And, uh, but I was more interested in just courting around and, um, uh, writing songs. I kind of got into music. Uh, even when I'd be banging on the piano and stuff, uh, like my idea was to like write things and like, so I kind of got into music a different way than most people did. I always wanted to write songs and I was more concerned with, uh, you know, being able to execute the songs was a was a vehicle to be able to share my my songwriting. So I kind of got into it backwards from most musicians.
0: Now, how old were you when you decided you wanted to write songs?
1: Uh, I was 12 when I, well, I was 10 years old when I got the idea I wanted to write songs. But like when I was, started really seriously wanting to like write songs, like kind of, um, consistently like all the time was when I was like 12 years old
0: now did your buddies at the time think you were weird because of that
1: um I didn't really notice if they did you know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, like it was the kind of thing um by the time I was in high school that was a that was a common interest you know what I mean people um at that point in time you know the late 1980s when I was in high school was, um, kind of a period in, uh, of transition in music, you know, like, uh, that, you know, uh, things were kind of changing, but things were very pop oriented. So you had to kind of find your own little niche. Uh, and so I kind of gravitate toward like the old sixties and seventies music that, uh, first, uh, my father showed me. And then like they had these radio stations. I don't know if you remember, uh, Remember WCXR Classic Rock? Do you remember that? I do not, a- but I'm
0: from I'm from New England. I didn't move down here until 1990.
1: Okay, gotcha. So it was like this. It was like the original uh, classic rock format. I remember being so excited in junior high school when it came out. They were playing stuff like you know the 60s stuff like the Beatles, the Doors, you know stuff like that. You know what I mean? It's like uh, and uh, so that was like my little niche of uh, I was like into that kind of stuff. And then some kids were into the, you know, the kids are, who were into music, they were into like punk or heavy metal, but yeah, you know, I was kind of like among the sixties crowd doing the sixties oriented thing. Then,
0: now, now, were you still playing pian- exclusively piano at that point or were you, had you picked up a, the guitar a little
1: bit? I picked up the guitar a little bit. I didn't start seriously like playing the guitar until I was like 19 though. It was mainly just piano till then.
0: Now, what got you to picking up the guitar.
1: I just thought um I knew I was never going to be a piano virtuoso, you know, I knew um and the guitar always appealed to me. Like everyone that um I admired um uh, musically at that point was, you know, you know, the singer-songwriter with the guitar, you know, the uh the Bob Dylan, the John Lennon. You know what I mean? The people I knew of at that time. And I was like, I really want to play guitar. And then around that point I started getting um, uh, uh, becoming aware of um, acoustic uh, I guess folk country and uh, I guess they call it uh, roots and and, uh, blues, acoustic blues. I, I became aware of that. And that really kind of sparked my interesting guitar the first thing i learned finger style, was the uh man's lipscomb song sugar babe you know that song mm-hmm. and and uh that was yeah, so that was my first pick you know what i mean and like uh so that's that's kind of what inspired me i really want to, to learn i don't know it was very strange because uh i could already play the piano somewhat you know so it was weird to kind of just drop it and like just start playing the guitar, although I did go back to playing the piano in public uh,
2: later, like
1: about 2004, which really rounds out the the act for a solo performer. It makes it more interesting for me, and I I would assume for the audience as well, to get a little sonic relief since it's just one person.
0: Now, did you take lessons for guitar, or are you self-taught?
1: I'm pretty much self-taught. You know, I've tried the lessons thing, like maybe two or three lessons. And I was just like, oh, all that tablature, I still don't know how to do, read that. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> you know, so, like, I got the basic pick from the guy. You know, he, like, showed me he was, like, a classical-slash-jazz player. But he. Got, I got him to show me the basic Travis pick. Took lessons for, you know, that brief period. And then after that, I was just, like, set about trying to figure it out.
0: Well, you do have a very, very good finger style approach and it does have a little bit of the blues thrown in there. The, but it isn't straight blues, which I found Uh, very appealing. It had that crossover between kind of what I call acoustic. Most people would refer to those of us who perform solo guitar as folk musicians, although we're not necessarily, but that's what they title us as. But you bridge that gap really, really well and, and then throw in the occasional course strum but I was really impressed by your, <clears throat> excuse me, your finger style. Um, you're very good at doing little lead runs, little bass runs, while, you know, keeping that rhythmic finger picking going.
1: Oh, thank you. That's that's great. I, it's, that's nice to hear from another musician. You know what I mean? It's always uh, surprising to me and uh, gratifying, you know what I mean? That another musician would enjoy it, you know, because there's a, you know, as, as we were talking about, like, uh, at that gig that you, you know, that uh, that you run out in Frederick that uh, you saw me at, um, uh, there's so many technically great guitar players now, like, because the wealth of information, I mean, it is just tremendous. You know, with what's online, you have access to so many things. You know, like, so many younger players can play so well technically. And so, like, for those of us who kind of had to come up, like, kind of hunting and pecking and piecing it together from various sources you know it's it's good to hear another musician give some positive feedback it's nice i got the um idea for do i think a lot of that uh is because the main blues player i listened to uh was mississippi john hurt
3: oh so he's very
1: yeah. you, know, you know and he kind of people always said when i started out that i sounded like elizabeth cotton and i think i just had to get a little bit better so people could hear other things in there, you know, as well as her style. But I mean like her style is fantastic because she played upside down. Right. Like her you know what I mean? And so like people approximate it but like to get her style exact is like it's it's deceptively simple. Just like Mississippi John. I saw Chris Smither playing he was like, you know, Mississippi John's style in its basic form might be simple, but to get every nuance is really, really hard. And that's from, like, the great Chris Smither, you know.
0: Now, do you, when you write your songs, in other words, when you're writing the words and then you're putting it to music, is it, does the music come first or do the lyrics come first or is it kind of, it depends?
1: Most of the time, it's simultaneous you know what i mean and but i have experimented with writing the words first i've recently i experimented with that but that's that was very unusual in the past usually it's at the same time
0: now when you say at the same time and i'm 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 curious because that's the way i tend to write is i'll just sit down and i'll be playing something that just all of a sudden kind of and it could be a very similar chord progression to what I always play, but I did something slightly differently, or maybe I reversed the progression or something like that. And I'll just play it, and then all of a sudden, a line will pop out and a melody will pop out. Is that fairly typical of your style as well?
1: Yeah, it's like all of a sudden, like you're playing, and like then you're all of a sudden singing a new song. Uh-huh. And you're like, well, I better better write this down. You know what I mean? And then like you know what I mean, you fill it in from from there. So I, I think that's a good way. to. I, I, what I understand is most people are like that, you know, that write songs that, you know, what, everyone has a different approach, but I've heard a lot of people say that they do it like you do and I do with it.
0: Well, it, what it always is wonder. well, and I, I haven't been very prolific of the last five years or so, but it always amazes me as to sometimes it's not so much difficult to come up with the first line. Because that'll just pop out. It's the ones that follow it and the direction they take me. Do you find that interesting as well? In other words, does that first line immediately kind of lead you to something, and then it turns out to be something completely different?
1: Always. I mean, <laughs> I, I yeah. I don't. I, I never have like a preset idea like um what I'm gonna what what I'm gonna do. I just kind of go along with it. Like that's why I was saying I kind of um, came into songwriting. I came into music a little bit backwards because I feel like, um, like what I'm oriented. Even like listening to other people's songs. Like sure, I'll listen to the music and I love music, but you know, uh, for like songwriting, like I really pay attention to the lyric. So I just kind of um, am able to kind of. uh, just follow wherever uh train of thought is, is leading me and not question it too much until it's done. And then I can decide, uh, sometimes you look back and you're like, what was I thinking? You know, it's <laughs> like, you can't even make any sense of what you were thinking. You know, you're like, I don't, I don't have a clue. Usually those are the the bad ones, though. You can't even remember writing it. Usually the good ones, you can remember where you were writing it. Even.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, do you find it difficult to come up with a chorus or a bridge, or is, does it just kind of flow? When you get to a certain point, you just it just happens.
1: It flows. It just happens. You know, it's like um, because of the a lot of the songs. Like um, I got kind of uh, into the the endless uh, the endless verse kind of song is, mm-hmm. is appealing to me. You know, so I like that because that's a very folk music thing. You know, and it's uh you know, I I kinda got into that, but like uh actually I just actually wrote a song that actually has a chorus that uh that says, I don't like big choruses this is the first line of the chorus. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like it's a kind of strange little song that I came up with, but uh maybe I'll have an opportunity to play it for you someday down the road, but I think you might enjoy it. It's it's but uh, I never really think I'm gonna make the big the big chorus or the big hook or I just try I just write whatever's gonna come out.
0: Well you currently play a Martin guitar, a dreadnought. Um and I'm assume I, I I can't assume is it I may have asked you, is it a V eighteen or D twenty eight? What is what model is it? It
1: is the H D twenty eight from like ninety six and um and apparently they've changed the um voicing of the guitar. Um now when they make the hd-20 i may be wrong about this but uh, i think it's like forward braced now uh-huh. so you can like so you can like um do this weird almost like a vibrato effect by like uh putting your hand on the top of the guitar by the um you know toward the where the neck meets the sound hole
3: uh-huh. and kind of
1: press on that and get kind of like a wah kind of a vibrato sound but on, on mine is I, I think it's like the standard uh what scallops, bracing, whatever. I don't know too much about this kind of stuff, but I got the HD-28 just because it was sounding better than the D-28 at the time during that particular year that I was looking for getting a nice guitar. Actually, my first uh, CD uh, in 1997 was recorded on my, uh, recorded for 500 bucks, you know, for, you know, four days, you know, like mixing, everything was just all-inclusive. The guy did it for like 500 bucks. And I recorded on a uh, Yamaha Eterna, you know, the old plywood yes. Yamaha Eterna. It's got the uh, plastic tuning pegs and uh big, thick neck. You know what I mean? I didn't realize that it had such a fat neck because I started playing other guitars, you know, but, you know, bizarre sp- string spacing. You know, they're a little bit close, the strings, you know, so it's kind of, you know, it's a plywood guitar, but, you know, it was. Uh, you know, I I still loved it. You know what I mean? It's like, but then I kind of like upgraded, you know, all the way from, you know, the Toyota, you know, or the, or the whatever the, uh, the, what the Toyota Corolla to the Lamborghini was, you know, the, <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, I was like, I, in fact, when I got the Martin, I was like, this is this is too much for me. I was like, oh my gosh. But I, it's sounding nice. I've kind of started to grow into it. And, uh, it's it's sounding nice with its age too you know how they are when they age they sound much better
0: yeah they people always refer to guitars as opening up
1: yes and this one definitely did
0: yeah now was that yamaha was that your first guitar
1: that was my first guitar Yep.
0: now i'm curious how did when you recorded with that that yamaha how did it sound yeah. on the recordings
1: well the first Recording is kind of uh, kind of crazy sounding you know um it's um the guy was just getting his um equipment he just got like this was he just got his digital studio he was like switching formats i think from to computers from uh, or now he was switching to ADAT. that's how you know I think he used to record on reel to reel. so it sounds a little bit it sounds a little bit um sounds a little bit metallic and uh doesn't have a lot you know the same kind of depth but really i mean you know how it is and all of us can you know fool ourselves from time to time we basically sound like we what we sound like no matter what we're playing you know what i mean it's like give, give anyone five minutes are gonna sound like themselves whether guitars like you know wonderfully expensive you know you know martin d45 or you know a whatever, Yamaha Eterna, you know what I mean? It's like we all kind of, at the end of the day, but there was definitely a 10-year sound. I mean, it's it's audible.
0: Well, I have a a good friend who owns two student model Yamaha guitars. He's had me put pickups in both of them. He paid $119 for the first one, and I think maybe like $79 for the second one. Yeah. and the pickups cost more than the guitars did but oh both, yeah definitely but other than the fact that they don't play well when you go up the neck because when they were designed back in the probably the 70s or or so very few people went past the fourth fret that we did cowboy chords so no one ever worried about how clean or how intonated the guitar was in the at you know the 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 8th and the 10th and the 12th fret but both of those guitars plugged in if someone who was a guitar player and somewhat of a connoisseur of guitars heard the guitars but didn't see what they were, would say, wow, those are great guitars, thinking they were. So Yamaha was very, very good at making good-sounding, inexpensive guitars for a period of time. They actually still do. but that I, was I agree.
1: I think to this day, if you pick up, uh, like, uh, a friend of mine had a, uh, you know, just like the FG series, like, yes. the, you know, the slight step up in uh, in Yamaha from the plywood, you know, it was like, it was, uh, you know, solid top with, um, you know, and that thing sounds just as good as, you know, his expensive guitar. You know, Yamaha makes fantastic instruments.
0: Now, you also like you said, got back into playing piano. Yeah. And we're going to have people listen to a, a song that you did and it's called each man to his pay. And tell us a little bit about the song before we hear it.
1: That's a good one to play. Like at the end of the night, you know, people will see what I mean. It's like, it's like just kind of cleaning up and, uh, sweeping things up and kind of dealing with, uh, the end of everything of a you know of a night and uh and uh that sort of thing and it's got its own little uh bar room philosopher talking as the narrator and so it kind of goes along like that
0: and it's a piano song so ladies and gentlemen yeah, yeah. each man to his pay <laughs>
2: Chairs on the tables The band's packing up Kane and his brother Are into their cups So sweep it up, William. Let's call it a day Each man to his labor Each man to his pay The loyal foot soldier Tramps out in the rain The captain don't bother He's loaded again what was that, Martha? Sweet Mary's away. Each man to his labor, each man to his pay. By the sweat of my brow. What is it, Billy boy? What do you want now? The newspaper vendor. Beginning his rounds. The party ain't over till I knock this one down. I spent my last dollar on Miss Lady Jane Grey. Each man to his labor, each man to his pay.
0: You have an old soul voice on some of your songs.
1: Oh that's that's great. I mean, I guess um I guess I was older when I recorded them maybe, you know.
0: Well, it's uh, just it, it's almost like the um and the one thing that I've always envied some other per- performers for is that they have a great character to their voices. And you are someone who does. And whether you use it knowingly or not, Like in that song, the way you deliver your vocal fits the music bed perfectly and the subject of the song. I mean, there's almost a little bit of uh, tiredness, not laziness, but tiredness in it. Like you said, it's kind of the end of the night. And uh, but you you do such and you, you probably didn't plan it. It's just the way it came out.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I just try and tell the story as as best I can with my own uh you know limited voice, you know what I mean so I try and use any um any amount of character or uh that that kind of a technique to get the message across you know whereas you know like another singer could really rely on a you know a fantastic voice or something like that or you know to like so I have to really um I, I really I talked about Mance Lipscomb before and he he sings very quietly but like it cuts through and it really conveys a lot a lot of emotion, you know, from from, you know, uh you know you know, just very uh hard realities to uh something uh playful like when he uh covers Shine on Harvest Moon, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's you know you know, so, uh, yeah, so it's like I kind of uh, try and inhabit the character of, of these songs somewhat, if I can.
0: We do a great job of it. Now, when I'll you play, it. is that a song recorded in the studio or is that a live recording?
1: No, uh, that was a live one, too. That that was all recorded from on the, the where you're getting those recordings from, from SoundCloud. Or It was recorded at a place in Alexandria, Virginia that used to have live music. And um, uh, a guy named Dana Dominguez, who works at the Smithsonian, happened to be, he was uh, popping into this place. uh, He was waiting for his wife to get off of work, where she worked at a restaurant a couple doors down. And he heard my sentence and, hey, you know, could I record you? And then, you know, said, I've worked in Nashville. I currently... Yeah, I've recorded in Africa. I've, you know, currently work at the Smithsonian. So to me, that was like uh, really, uh, really cool. You know, because he, you know, brought all this um, very expensive equipment. You know, those uh, like those expensive stuff that you know the the remote recording that people use for field recording. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. And he brought that stuff out with all these microphones, but it was such a dead night this is like a, a funny performing story of which everyone knows there's plenty of those there's hardly anyone in there and uh and it's like and he's scheduled to record all two hours so that's why it almost sounds like a studio thing because like i mean there were like two other people in the whole place
3: <laughs> it's like
1: <laughs> at, at the point that song was recorded it's like that's why it's like you know just silent you <laughs> know it's like so it's it, might, it was. It felt more like being in a studio than an actual performance. By that point of the night, that that uh, thing in Paris had just happened that that evening. Uh, that. Uh, uh, oh yes, that's right. Yeah, and uh, so that was. I don't know if people were quite in the mood to be going out and about. Maybe it was just you know where I was at with uh, hearing the news as I drove to the gig. So yeah, that was kind of interesting uh intense for me to to hear that news and but it was the usual you know uh, the 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 classic you're playing for like one person and the bartender kind of a vibe you know
0: yeah i've, I've had many many gigs like that
1: everybody uh, yeah everybody that's played out knows what i'm talking about
0: <laughs> now there's another song that i'm going to play and it's uh the title is crazy wind and yeah. it and I could be wrong, but I don't think it was recorded at the same time, although it is a live recording. It almost sounds like you're in a coffee house because at some point I think I can hear the, the barista making a cappuccino or something in the background. Yeah.
1: It's the same night. There were just more people there when that room. Oh, was that right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Same night.
0: Well, um, and it's, um, and it's got a, a really unique rawness to it. So it's, it's uh. The fact that you recorded all of those on the same night because they all have a different feel. Not only the song itself, but what you hear or don't hear in the background. And like you said, there were more people in the room. So let's listen to... Well, tell us a little bit about, little bit about Crazy Wind before
1: we hear it. Well, um, that song, just for some reason, um, I don't know what people will think of it, but um, I really felt when I wrote that song that I, I was entering kind of a new uh, new uh, phase of songwriting where I felt uh, really, um, for a while, I always felt like this, you know, like I listened to, uh, I felt like I was kind of escaping some sort of a preconceived notion of what I had to do with writing a song. And I could just say whatever I wanted to say and not worry as much about, uh, you know, how it was going to come off so much and just kind of just so like it was kind of like so that song kind of was like a probably by listening to it from the outside no one would be able to tell the difference you know they would be just oh this is just another one of this guy's songs but you know for me it was something different you know that kind of like uh marked a uh, you know and i kind of never really turned around from doing things that way since
0: well let let's listen to crazy wind
2: a lonely soul she listens to the all-night radio blow crazy wind storm clouds rising up the mountainside when the pressure drops nowhere to hide blow crazy wind while the face of the man at the station is a face that you never see twice while somebody of another persuasion draws a beat on you between the eyes And it's one in a million he misses While you're placing your bets on the side Open wide, let the games begin Blow, crazy wind My bags are packed, my trunk is gone Got a funny feeling waiting while I'm waiting on Blow, crazy wind there's a man in the snow making signs at the dead Maybe somebody knows what goes on in his head Blow crazy wind While the woman who waits at the window Finds something to make herself laugh She's stuck in the place that she's in though Like a scene in her own photograph It don't matter wherever she's been though They've been giving her time and a hand. If you have tell you, friend, blow crazy wind. If you pick up sticks, you can do just fine. If you build the bricks, you can drink the wine. Blow crazy wind. Since I'll never know, I don't have to ask. Some people done better living in the past. Blow crazy wind. And she's keeping good time on the counter while they're giving her more of the game. And you try to arrange how you found her while attempting to guess at her name. While everyone dances around her, you will waltz in the ball in the shade. It's all the same, so how's it fit you, Slim? Blow, crazy wind.
0: That crowd
1: yeah yeah, yeah, when that phone rang in the background uh on the recording, uh I thought the the phone was ringing somewhere here, so go
0: so how long did that song take to write, if you can recall from 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 the time you started it until you were happy with it?
1: That song, well, most of the songs I write either they come out quick or they don't come out. You know what I mean? And uh, that one was about like, probably like, you know, I do remember writing that song and I remember it giving me a certain amount of trouble, you know, like, like, but it probably, you know, about like 45 minutes, you know what I mean to like, to get it together. And like, I was like, you know, just sweating certain lines, you know, and trying to make it all fit. Well, like I said, like, yeah, you
0: go on. Yeah. No, no. Finish.
1: I'm just saying, like, and I, I've heard that that's pretty pretty common with with some songwriters. Like, I've uh, I've heard like uh, you know some of the the really great ones, like Merle Haggard and Dolly Parton, and uh, uh, say that uh, and Bob Dylan say that songs can take very very quick, you know. And and then you have a songwriter like. I've heard Leonard Cohen would have like a notebook full of various iterations of the same song. You know what I mean? Like, and he would, you know, just like take months, even years, to get the song to his liking. So I guess there's just all different ways. It's just like for me, if it doesn't work, it's just it's never gonna work. You know, so I just get rid of it. But that one, I was I was happy enough with it to you know sing it. You know, and got recorded. You know what I mean?
0: Well, it's it. In my world, that would be incredibly quick because I take a long time. I may come up with a line or two and then for whatever reason, I get kind of stumped and I put it down and I may come back the next day and try to remember the melody, which is not always easy. The Once I get that down, and it could be a week or two or sometimes it can be very a lot of months. So the fact that you can write a complete song like that, and that has quite a few lyrics in it. And I love the way you bring in lines that it's the line really doesn't have much to, to do with the previous line but it still works if you know what I mean
1: yeah yeah
0: and it's it's almost like the observation of people and life and it comes out in this really cool lyric and then the next one is just as cool as that one and it just kind of it just, it's like a snowball going downhill getting bigger and bigger and then it just
1: is completed oh that's, that's, that's awesome and that uh, your description, I you know, I, I like it, you know, I like your description because about being real, uh, 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 what am I trying to say, it's like that it's uh, really from life because a lot of those images, I can remember exactly, you know, where I was when I'm referring to, you know, like the, where I saw that image and where it came to, I remember exactly where I was, you know, I remember... I don't remember what day it is, you know. I mean you couldn't like take a deposition on it, but you know what I'm saying? It's like but uh, you know, basically, you know, I I saw the I saw the thing. You know, uh you know, like the 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 uh, the man in the stone making signs of the dead, maybe somebody knows what goes on in his head. That particular line, uh, maybe I don't remember what it was for all of it now that I think of it. <laughs> but uh that one I remember walking through this old graveyard in uh D C you know when I lived there. You know, uh, it was the old uh, graveyard by that. You know, I don't know where that that museum down in Northwest. There's a there's a museum with some somebody like bequeathed their house to make it a museum. I forget what it's called, but they have this big graveyard next to it, and they have like a lot of uh, you know well-known people from DC buried there, and and various families and stuff. And ornate, you know, the, I say that because these ornate tombs and they're standing up you know, uh, against the snow, you know, and and there's this guy who was obviously mentally ill, you know what I mean, or, you know, from my perspective, mentally ill, you know, maybe, maybe not, you know what I'm saying, but uh, yes. from his perspective, you know, but uh, he was, like, just kind of talking to himself, and he, he seemed very agitated in this, in this environment. It was a, such, the, such the contrast, because you know how snow is in this town. It, it shuts, you know, in this area, it shuts everything down. You know, every it gets very quiet, and imagine you know being in a graveyard—how quiet that was. And then this guy, kind of like his level of electricity and agitation, contrasted was like really unsettling. So that's why I don't forget it. So, just as an that might have been a tangent. I don't know.
0: Oh no, that's good. So your songs are not autobiographical, but there's a little of you or your experiences, maybe in all of them. Is that a fair thing to say?
1: I would think there would have to be, for a person. Although, um, I, um, I find that uh, it's not really writing the you know I mean writing the first person as somebody else can be very uh, interesting. And sometimes, like, I I feel like, you know, that might not be understood. Like, I have this one song called Bow Down on uh, the CD I I made uh, back in 2002 called Dark Sands. And, like, it's like this, it's like one chord, you know what I mean? Uh, Probably technically, you know, there's a a suspension or, you know, whatever, you know, but for all practical purposes, one chord. And, like, it's, like, kind of like, like a rant of this, you know, somewhat diabolical guru you know and but it's saying in the first person and so uh somebody that i I thought knew me well was like freaked out by it i was like well, how how could he have thought how could he possibly have thought i was <laughs> writing this in the first person I know mean, i didn't need <laughs> a, some serious uh serious attention <laughs>
0: so you, you you i it almost sounds like you are Somewhat successful in putting yourself into someone else's mind to write.
1: Yeah, I, I guess that's why I like to. That's why I say I got kind of got into the writing was was the primary focus for me. Like and like the music, I was like, you know, when I realized, kind of brings me around to a a, a point that I want to make. I kind of a uh, I met an older musician. Um, have you ever heard of a? Since you're from Frederick, did you ever meet uh, Blind Dog, Blind Dog Rider?
0: I don't think so.
1: Okay, so he was a guy from Frederick, and I met him right when I started playing guitar, and he was the kind of guy that he could do. You know those uh, those interpreters from the 60s and 50s, like uh, Dave Van Rock, Ramblin, yes. Jack Elliott? They would like take the old folk and blues and kind of put their own spin on it. He mm-hmm. was like that. He was that kind of guy. He wasn't so much a songwriter as, like, a song interpreter and a really great vocalist and guitar player. And and I realized that as a very, very young person, you know, uh, that that was essential to be able to get my point across, you know, to be able to do it myself and not have to rely on other musicians because people aren't always going to want to participate, you know. And, I, and also, uh, I had to get enough musical... Ability, you know, enough facilities, actually the correct word, uh, I guess, uh, enough musical facility to get these stories and, and these, these songs across, because I felt like uh, that's what I could do.
0: Now, did you ever want to be or become a famous guitar player or songwriter or singer, or was it purely for your own enjoyment?
1: I really hoped that uh, I could get an audience for the songs that I have, and I still, you know, play and share my songs. Like, I'm kind of like a little bit of an oddball when it comes to that, because, like, I'll be hired for these gigs, and I play all my own songs. You know, it's like, uh, I had, like, a bar gig where I convinced the manager, you know, it was not, I was young and hustling, you know, so I got a give myself a break it wasn't right but I told him oh sure I play covers sure I play covers I was playing there a couple years before finally he caught on (laughs) I was not playing covers and and I was just out of there you know yeah so uh but yeah I've been I I just play my own songs the only songs I like throw in are like like old songs that nobody knows I, I assume people know them just because I know them like like that old song Diamond Joe I've been playing forever I like throw that in there. I, mean, I feel like singing Diamond Joe." I might as well be singing, you know, uh, what you know, you know.
0: What well, you sang, it, you sang, was it You Are My Sunshine to the little girl when you were, you were at oh, the yeah, Sunday that brunch? Oh, little,
1: that yeah, little, that little boy came there. That little boy, like, right, uh, yep. yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and he came and wanted to hear You Are My Sunshine. I just happened to know the, that Mississippi John played it. And I I haven't known Mississippi John's version of it, but that's not an ordinary, obvious, obvious, obvious thing. Who wrote that song? Wasn't that written like, uh, I think that was like written in 1910 or something by like some governor. Like he was like a governor of some state down south or something. I think,
0: I think you're, you're very close. The, and I i read it for the first time probably two years ago and i've forgotten but i think you're very very close you may have been a governor or someone like that
1: yeah like like the guy who wrote it's all in the game Yeah, i think was another kind of character like that like he he was like a you know eminent man who you know happened to write this great song you know
0: so did it was it disheartening for you because you 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 work a day job now and i you know you may have from probably the mid 2000s i guess i think you said that you oh yeah yeah the was it somewhat disheartening for you like it is for many of us to realize that gosh i'm i'm not really going to be famous or maybe i'm just doing this on the side and i need to concentrate more on that there
1: i think for me like really the main focus for me is uh continuing to to write and to play and to, you know, get better as a musician and, uh, you know, keep, uh, keep writing. So like, I kind of conducted my like artistic life, uh, even though I was, you know, working and had to, you know, start my own business eventually, you know, kind of kept my artistic life on the same level of importance to me, just as it was, before when I was playing a lot of gigs, but it's just like, uh, the business side of it, I've been, uh, really, uh, you know, not, not really paying attention to that, you know, just like getting out there and you know, just playing when I can, you know, not like the, the old, you know, the hustle. So like, it's been kind of a, I've, I've integrated it pretty, pretty much into my life, you know?
0: Now you have a couple younger kids, don't you? I think, I think I meant you mentioned having children.
1: Indeed I do. Yeah.
0: And what are what are their ages?
1: They are 13 and going to be 11.
0: What do they think 13. of dad's songs?
1: Oh, well, um uh, my older daughter, you know, she'll be uh politely supportive. <laughs> I think that <laughs> she says she uh, she likes classical music.
0: Oh, that's and, interesting.
1: Uh, yes, she plays violin and she likes classical music and um you know, so to her uh, the heroes are uh Tchaikovsky as a composer and Heisitz as a performer. So uh I really don't have uh, much of a chance of impressing her. She really but uh my youngest my younger daughter is um a musician and she really uh she's thinks the uh, the world of what I do, you know, and I think the world of what she does. She's a songwriter as well.
0: So she's she, starting uh, about the same age that you started.
1: Exactly. Well, believe it or not, she started when she was, she was always singing and make things up ever since she was like two years old. Wow. And then started just like writing it down when she was like maybe five or six. So she's like, uh, she's gifted.
0: So what style is is her music?
1: Uh, She has a nice blend of uh, kind of uh, contemporary pop mixed with kind of a little bit of jazz. R and B kind of stuff,
0: and she's a guitar player.
1: She plays guitar. She's learning guitar. She just, you know, has just been playing for a year. She plays guitar and she plays piano, and uh, she is also she also plays string bass, the upright bass. Really, studying that as well. Yeah, she's studying upright bass.
0: I would think that an eleven year old who generally most 11 year olds haven't hit their growth spurt yet. It's usually like 12, 13 that, you know, an upright string bass is They're as tall as I am.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't realize this. Yeah. Cause when, uh, when she started playing upright bass, I didn't know what to expect. You know, like I always thought that'd be a good instrument for her to play because she's a singer and uh, she's a songwriter. And if you can be your own bass player and that kind of thing, you know, you're, set because so many people play guitar piano and all that you know and drummers are always willing around to be with you know you know it's easier to find a drummer than an upright bass player that's for sure you know it's a rare instrument but um i thought that'd be a good instrument but they make one eighth size Ah. and and this thing is like it looks like a gigantic cello You know, it's still as tall as she is, you know, but it's a eight size. But I know, like, when I brought the thing in to get adjusted, because I played string bass in high school, and um, I saw the, uh, I. you know, but I haven't been around that instrument in a while, and I saw the thing in uh, in Chuck Levins where we were taking it to get her bass adjusted. And um, I saw the full size, like the orchestral you know four four size not even the three quarter size which most people use you know mm-hmm. in uh in, in jazz and bluegrass you know and uh these things they're, they're immense i mean it's like it's like a large piece of furniture well but yeah no she doesn't play that one <laughs> the uh w- yeah.
0: when we did the the frederick coffee company open mic which was very very popular for many years yeah, The place would be packed and, and most people came in with a guitar case and, and some of the younger kids came in with a guitar, no case because they just hadn't they either didn't own one or it was too much work. So they just bring the guitar. But I, yeah. used, I used to just groan when I would look to the door and you're very familiar with where the performance area is at the Frederick Coffee Company, having performed there for many, many times. Yeah, I would yeah. see someone navigate in that door and, and, and saying, Excuse me, excuse me, with a full size upright base. And I'm thinking, Where the heck are we going to put this thing?
1: Oh, yeah, that thing was as big as that old bookcase that used to be the on the side of the Frederick Coffee Company. Yep. I, I don't know if you recall that. Remember that bookcase? I do. Bookcase? Yep, I do. Yep. I mean, the base is as big as that. So, yeah, I can imagine as a coordinator of an open mic, you're like, They just do not pay me enough. For <laughs> I could, well, th- I could take some singer-songwriters, some attitude guitars, you know, some cover songs that I don't want to hear for the umpteenth millionth time, but that upright bass was kind of the uh, last straw for you.
0: Well, you know, as a as an instrument owner who yeah. doesn't like them to get dinged, and it's not easy to have a case for a, an upright bass, obviously, because of their size, and they'd be walking through yeah. this crowded room with people pushing chairs back, and I'd be thinking, oh, please don't damage the thing, come on. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: totally, yeah. But now, speaking of the Frederick Coffee Company, uh, the and I related this story to you when you were at the Chabreau, uh stage, and you d- didn't recall it. I remember seeing you sometime in the mid-2000s there, and I was just so interested in the way you marketed your CDs, and I'll tell people how you did it, and I remember sitting there and I think I was with a couple of friends and that is one of the more difficult things for me to do is to promote my own stuff. And you were talking about a, a new CD that you had or one that you had and you held it up and, and you know, you were being very gracious and saying, you know, it's, it's a little difficult to, you know, promote myself, but you know, the, the CD and I'll, I'll use the dollar amount as $10. I think that's what you were selling them for. and, and, and you looked right at the crowd and you're very serious and you said, you know, folks, um, you'll have this CD much longer than I'll have your $10. And I think you sold two or three CDs right after that. And I'm thinking, well, what a great way to market a CD because it was humorous and everybody chuckled and it was great.
1: Uh, thank you for reminding me of that. I thank you yeah, back at, uh, that performance, because I do not remember saying that. That's a pretty good line there. Yeah.
0: Well, and you you have a very relaxed way on stage. Um, I remembered that from way back when, and then seeing you again at the Chabro stage for the Sunday Brunch Concert Series, I had forgotten how good of a musician you are and how good you are um, as an entertainer. Uh, there, You were mentioning earlier about there are so many great guitar players and so many great performers and so forth. But not everybody who is a great guitarist or a great singer or whatever is an entertainer. And you have that nice mix of really good musicianship, good songs, but also being able to entertain in a seemingly unforced, very natural way. Just like when you were chatting with a little boy.
1: I I appreciate that because that's something that um, always was... uh... Kind of like how do you how do you kind of uh, crack this nut of being up on a stage and singing unfamiliar music to people, or even you know even familiar when it's just you in a in one instrument. You know what I mean? And it's like a, and kind of a light went off in my head when I had the opportunity to see Ramblin' Jack Elliott, and I got to meet him on the street, which was really cool and i got to see him at a place uh called the funk box i don't it's where the old eight by ten was i don't know what you know i don't know what you know what it is now in baltimore and uh i got to see Ramblin' jack and just the way he conducted himself on stage he was just like it was like we had just walked into his living room and he was just sitting there you know chilling you know what I mean? It's like uh playing and it was like that that's I was like, that's the way you have to do it. I was like and then I was like it was kinda of liberating because it's always more comfortable to be comfortable. So I was like, Hey, that's maybe that'll set everybody at ease, you know, if so I just kinda of take it easy and just go along as if I if I'm just putting on a little little show for myself there, you know.
0: What what is your favorite style of gig? Is it coffee house? Is it full on concert? Is it um I don't know. Um, farm stand kind of um farmers market, um bar gig. What would be your favorite? If you could book all of your gigs in the same style or the same type of venue, what would it be?
1: I have a good story about this kind of gig, but I might say, I might tell you later, but, but, uh, my favorite gig probably would be, uh, you know, a bar gig for a crowd that is, uh, appreciating, you know, like not the standard, you're, you know, you're slogging through, you know, that, you know, the, the sports bar kind of crowd, you know what I mean? Like, you're not that, not that kind of thing. I'm saying like where people, uh, have kind of like that they're music fans, they're kind of like music heads and, they like to just hang out and like if if and just like enjoy the night and listen to the music and get into it and have an open mind and stuff bar gigs like that uh I've been fortunate enough to play some like that, you know, and those are the most fun of all because you're just like in the you just you're just part of the whole vibe and it's really it, it it's very um. It's like gratifying when people are having a good time and you know you just can get into the whole uh vibe of performing and like it's not like uh, you can give it your all but without being on the spot <laughs> like you know like at a you know like at a you know at like an actual like concert on the stage which is which is always fun I mean you know I've I've always enjoyed that too those are probably the two most most fun
3: now how i really
1: you know you know I, I don't i don't mind playing anywhere i'm like pretty much uh you know what i mean i'm pretty uh there there's a have you heard of warner williams oh yes yeah i mean he will i mean he will play anywhere i mean he's like a a national treasure at this point you know what i mean there's very few people like him anymore even and
2: he'll just play at,
1: like, a farmer's market and not really care if, you know, people are listening or not. He's just enjoying himself. And so, like, I try and bring that good attitude wherever I'm playing, like, and just enjoy myself and try and make sure that anyone who's hearing the music that it's not my fault that they're not liking it. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, they just might not like it because they don't like that, you know, the style or whatever, but I don't try and make, you know, I try and bring the joy of playing music wherever I play.
0: Well... From what I heard recently, you're doing a very good job at that. Now, for anyone who's interested maybe in, do you still have physical CDs for sale?
1: I do, and the ones that are available are, uh, you can contact me, I have the information on my website, which is uh, com, and I have an email address that you can reach me on that, and... um and uh you know get in touch with me and i'm able to supply these uh CDs for you
0: and what do you sell your CDs for
1: Ooh, let me think uh yeah it's like uh what is it like 10 dollars 10 dollars okay. for one and like uh i got like a 2 for 15 deal i think going on
0: <laughs> yeah some someone and this was at the frederick coffee company again because the That was my favorite. Unfortunately, they no longer have live music because their business yeah, model no, has but changed. But
1: And you booked it for years, which is yeah. quite a quite a a service, actually, to the music community. I'd like to thank you for doing that, Todd, because people don't realize that um, this live music stuff would not happen without people like you serving as a kind of liaison with the business community to get live music into these venues that aren't really required or might not think of having music. So... We're all actually appreciative of people like you. And, you know, the late John Harbison was like that as well. I don't know if you got a chance to meet him.
0: I did not. And I knew around him a lot, but I never got to meet him.
1: Yeah, gotcha. And he was like the same kind of guy as you, just out there like a musician himself and facilitating live music, which is great. So thank you.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Now, what is it difficult for you in our COVID times here where so few indoor uh, venues have music anymore. Is it difficult for you? How do you go about getting your gigs now?
1: Oh, the same uh, kind of uh, slapdash way as before. You know what <laughs> I mean? It's like, you, know, you know, so it's like because I'm not like serious, like seriously trying to make a living at doing it. Like because I have, uh, you know, my my regular living to make. Uh, I have the luxury of you know being able to just like. You know, I'll, I'll play at a, like a farmer's market that pays money. You know what I mean? Or like um, next week, I'm playing. Uh, you know, at a at a bar as a paying gig. You know what I mean? But it's outside, I believe.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And and uh, so it's just been like that thing that uh, you booked me for the the uh, stage thing. You yeah. know, like stuff like that. Whatever I can really find, but I haven't taken the dive into really. Um, seeing what's going on. I think a lot of people are, are wondering what's going on because like you said, without music being indoors, it, it creates a, creates a difficulty for, you know, my performance.
0: Well, you do have coming up for people in the Frederick Maryland area. And that's the area that the show is produced in. If you would like to hear, um, well, obviously go to Mike's website or his uh, SoundCloud or pick up some of his CDs, but if you'd like to see him live, coming up in October, October fourteenth, which is a Sunday, from eleven a.m. until two p.m., he will be at the Urbana Farmers Market, and the Farmers Market is in the kind of side rear of the library parking lot in Urbana.
1: Unfortunately, I hate to. This is oh, we were no. talking about. Uh, we were talking about in this segment about uh, how this is a real conversation. This is proof for your audience uh, that. <laughs> this is a real conversation because unfortunately there's a glitch in the website. So that's like a, a past date. Ah. So, so yeah, yeah. So I will be updating that shortly, but I just had to correct that in case somebody happened to go out there and be like, you know, I didn't want that to to inconvenience anybody there. I'm I'm
0: glad, I'm glad you did because I would have been promoting it. But the, Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: And, and make sure, and people can hear this as well, I do send out a weekly update on who's playing where in the greater Frederick area. It's live acoustic music, mostly. Once in a while, I'll throw in a band, especially if I know someone who performs in the band. But if you have a gig coming up, uh, Mike, in the Frederick area, anytime, if you could email me on either Monday or Tuesday of that week, I will put it into my update. I usually send it out either Wednesday or Thursdays, and that would be terrific if you would.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much, Todd.
0: You're welcome. And this has been a lot of fun for me. I had so much fun chatting with you and also um, listening to you at the Sunday Brunch Concert Series at the Jabro Stage. And I've had a great time chatting with you here on the podcast. And I think I lost Mike. Believe it or not, I heard that little beep. Let me see if I can get him back. That does happen, and it wasn't his fault. It was evidently my phone for some reason. As they used to say, one ringy-dingy. And maybe it's not going to... uh, Going to work. Maybe I'll try him on his cell. Let's do that. You... But thanks so much for listening, folks, to the uh, Wispy Mob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series today with Mike Elosh. And for some reason... Hello? I lost you somehow. I don't know how I did.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. We're worried about the uh, cell phone going out in the landline. Uh
0: well, you know, uh, and, and it could be mine for whatever reason. I still had five bars the whole time, but for something must have kicked it off, and I do apologize for that.
1: Oh, no, that's that's fine. I, that, that was a perfect, uh, if, the, if the conversation cut off, it was just such a perfect uh, ending, too. It was like... Uh, uh, I was like, well, thank you very much, Todd. It's like, you know, it's like, bang, it's dead.
0: <laughs> well, I didn't want to end it that way, and we will end it now, but I, I definitely wanted to say thanks again for being on the podcast, and I hope people will listen to some of your music. Your your songs are worth listening to, and if, folks, you ever get the chance to see Mike Elosh live, please do so. He's a wonderful performer plays i haven't heard him play piano ever live just on the recordings i look forward to that as well but he's a great guitar player so check him out and mike thanks again i thank hope thank
1: you so much todd i appreciate Are... you having me on your podcast
0: oh you're welcome and i'm going to play a song called guilty is charged for the people to end the show can you tell us a little bit about that song
1: yeah that song uh I kind of wrote it as kind of a to be singing in kind of a 1920s kind of microphonic, you know, voice kind of uh, in, you know, uh, but I I kind of sang a little bit different for this performance. But uh, it was one of those songs where uh, you just um, admit it. I'm guilty as charged. (laughs) That's what it says.
0: (laughs) Well, folks, while I say goodbye to Mike, you're going to be listening to. Guilty as Charged. Mike, thanks so much. Have a wonderful rest of the day, and I hope to get to see you soon.
1: Thank you so much. Likewise, Todd. All right, Mike.
0: Bye-bye now. Well, that was Mike Elash, and we are going to listen to his song, Guilty as Charged.
2: I'll admit it Guilty as charged The little rubber dinghy Came a drunken pleasure ball. The enormity of which subject there's no need to enlarge. I'll admit it. Guilty as charged. I'm no angel. I'm no plaster cast saint. Regret. Your Your tearful Last complaint The tiki bar Is open So name your poison Sarge I'll admit it Guilty as Charged A floating candle twinkles In the bathtub Of my dream basking in the afterglow of such and sundry scenes I'll admit it guilty as charged you know Savannah Roller you know Madame Lafarge I'll tell the judge straight as I can your honor Kel Dormann I'll admit it Guilty as charged
0: The Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by Todd C. Walker at the Wispy Mop Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland, and occasionally on location. All music on the podcast is played by permission from the artist. If you're enjoying the series, please feel free to share the link. wispymopmusic.podbean.com And Podbean is spelled P-O-D-B-E-A-N Or you can find the show on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time.